0: Do you ever find things in life confusing? Every married man raises his hand and... Yes, yes. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Her sitting that close, I probably shouldn't have said that, should I? You know, if if drinking and driving is illegal, have you ever thought about this? Why do bars have parking lots? Hold on a sec. Y'all stand back up. Come on, stand up. Okay, just lift your hands, be a little charismatic for a moment, okay? Now, sit back down. Are you awake? Ed Colvin, do you have a problem? Stand up. <laughs> Didn't think I'd see him. Okay. If drinking and driving is illegal, isn't it unusual that bars have parking lots? Yes, thank you. A Con- little confusing. What about this? Where did Cain get his wife? You ever thought about that an axe, or an in Acts and Genesis? That's confusing, isn't it? Okay, men, here's another one for you. How did Solomon deal with 700 wives? That's confusing, isn't it? Yeah, very confusing. Well, tonight in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to look at a subject that's been confusing throughout uh, the 2,000 years Christianity has been around. We're going to talk about speaking in tongues. And it, it has been a, uh, a subject of... Confusion and folks, it's it's a subject that's torn up churches. So it's a subject that we need to understand and we need to, uh, to, to to try to get our our heads around. And so we start with this premise: What does the Bible say about it? Isn't that always a good premise to start with? It is. It's always a great premise to start with. What does the Bible say about subjects that are biblical? That's a may even sound a little redundant and strange, but uh, the Bible is our source book as Christians. And even as we look through the Bible at this subject of the tongues, it, it can still be a little bit confusing, and it's not simple, okay? It's not, it's not real, real simple. Folks, any time someone tries to sell you something that's too good to be true and too simplistic, what did your mother tell you? It's probably not true, is it? I mean, the weight loss pill that says eat 80 donuts a day and lose 40 pounds in a month, wouldn't that be awesome? But you know what? That just is not true. That's not true. And I always get tickled when people have a a simplistic answer to the end of times or to speaking in tongues. You know, well, this is easy. I had a a wonderful friend in Texas who said, well, revelation's easy. And I said, you know what? I will never believe another thing you tell me the rest of your life. Because that was a pretty dumb thing to say. It's not, it's not easy. And speaking in tongues is a confusing thing. So, but, but let's try tonight out of 1 Corinthians 12 and some other passages to get a biblical grip on the subject. Number one, it is a gift. The Bible describes it as a gift from God, a spiritual gift. You hear last Sunday night, we talked about spiritual gifts. Verse 7 through 10, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Every believer gets a gift. To one, there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit to another miraculous powers next sunday morning we're going to look at healings and power miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguish between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues until still another the interpretation of this tongue now we, we said last Sunday night, a spiritual gift is a supernatural ability that God gives every person, every person who becomes a Christian, God gives us a, that supernatural spirit-empowered gift or ability. Now, what's it for? It's to bring glory to God. It is to win lost people to Jesus Christ. It is to help Christians grow up, and it's to make the church better. Remember that always. Spiritual gifts are never to make you look good. Some people walk around with their gift. Well, that's my gift. Get out of my way. Wayne, I've got the gift of singing. Move over. I'm going, you know. Gifts are to bring glory to God. They're to help lost people come to Christ, save people, grow up, and they're to make your church better. Anytime your gifts aren't doing that, your gifts are off base and your usage of them at at least. Tongues is described as a gift. Now, here's a very important thing that, that I want to state to you. What I, what I believe the Bible is clear on, at least it's clear to me, is it's still valid today. It's still a valid gift today. Now this is where some confusion comes in. Here is the extremes, the extremes of speaking in tongues. One extreme says, you have to speak in tongues. you ever heard someone say this? that in fact, if you don't speak in tongues, you are not saved or you're certainly not. Uh, a very spiritually mature person. The other extreme says, oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't exist anymore. There's a theology called dispensationalism. Now, it's this dispensationalism I'm talking about. It's not just talking about end of times. It's it's a, a theory or theology that covers from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, and they divide the Bible up in seven neat little dispensations or time periods and they, they say we're in the church age now and that the Holy Spirit uh, doesn't speak to people anymore, that miracles don't happen anymore uh, and that things like speaking in tongues cease to exist. Now, they might say a miracle could happen, but they're not going to say that a miracle would happen. Uh, in some ways, maybe you and I would think that a miracle could happen. So, uh, another term for this is a sensationist. They, they believe that certain gifts ceased to exist at the end of the first century. Uh, they would tell you speaking in tongues was good until we got a Bible. Then we got a Bible. We didn't need it anymore. The only problem with that is that the Bible itself doesn't say that. And the text that I've seen them use to, uh, to share that thought or that theory, I, I don't think they can back it up. It's neat to be able to put things in a package, isn't it? I mean if you got everything in a neat box, everything's great. Either everybody speaks in tongues or nobody speaks in tongues, but the problem is I don't think that's valid. Southern Baptists, through the years, Southern Baptists have not been on either extreme. We have not been that everybody has to do it, or we've not been cessationists, although we've been cessationists in practice. You understand what I'm saying? We believe it's valid, but, oh, it better never happen around us. In 1997, uh, I was applying to be a chaplain with the North American Mission Board. I guess I still am a chaplain with them. But the guy who interviewed me, one of the questions he asked me, a very nice guy, but I could tell he was uncomfortable. He asked me this. He said, have you ever spoken in tongues? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) I don't think so. And he said, check, okay, good. He went back later and he told me, he goes, you know, if you would have said you were spoken in tongues, you could never have been a Southern Baptist home missionary, at least at that time. Kind of strange, wasn't it? But, but that's where, you know, Baptist, we've been confused about the subject, to be honest with you. We haven't wanted to address it as, as part of our problem. I believe it's still a valid gift today. Now, what, how does it express itself as a valid gift? I think in three ways. One, it can be in a known foreign language. It can be in a known foreign language. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Read it when you get home. In Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, is the, is the, the uh, prototype for this understanding of speaking in tongues. What happened... In Acts chapter 2, Jesus had ascended in the Holy Spirit had not come on every believer until this time, and the Holy Spirit comes. You remember this? Acts chapter 2, the Christians are together. They're praying, and the Holy Spirit comes. It says it was like tongues of fire that fell upon them. And then they went out, and they went into Jerusalem, where at this particular time, the Pentecost celebration, there are Jewish people from all over the world, many people who could not speak the languages uh, that these Jewish people uh, and these people in Jerusalem spoke, and they began to speak to share the gospel with these people, and the people could hear it in their own own language. It was a miraculous thing. How many of you in here tonight know Mandarin Chinese? Now, don't lie, because you're in the church house, and I will give you a mic in a moment. How many of you know Mandarin Chinese? If you walked out of this door tonight, and there were some people who knew Mandarin Chinese and did, knew, did not know English, and you were able to share Jesus with them in Mandarin Chinese, how many of you agree that would be a miracle? That would be a miracle, wouldn't it? And, and that is one of the expressions of speaking in tongues. I don't believe that's what was going on in Corinth, but it was when God gave these people a special ability to speak in a language, a known language that they did not know. Here's the second part of tongues. It can be a, a, a prayer language, a private Prayer language. I don't understand some of these things, but, but I don't want to dismiss them and throw them out because I don't understand them. In chapter 14, verse 14, Paul says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And he, I believe he's talking there about private prayer. What is tongues? I believe it's the ability that God has given people on certain occasions to speak in a language they did not know. I don't understand this, but I believe apparently some people have the ability to pray in an, in an unknown tongue, a foreign language, in an ecstatic-type prayer language to praise and worship God and to, uh, to pray for others and lift up other people. I don't understand this, but I'm not going to flush something because I don't understand it. I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to accept it if it's in the, the Word of God. It's never happened here, but in, in previous churches where I have prayed with people at the altar, I have I've prayed with people, and as I was praying for them, kind of in a, uh, a, a low uh, ruffle, they were, I believe, praying in tongues. That's the only thing I can think of, unless they were praying in Mandarin Chinese, which I would not have known the difference, but I don't think that's what they were doing. So the Bible would describe tongues as being... Uh, speaking in a language a person had never known before, or it could be a private prayer language. Here's the third thing, and probably the thing that is uh, 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 most common when we think about speaking in tongues, and that could be an unknown heavenly language. And I, I, I couldn't put this with the point without making it too verbose, but an unknown heavenly language used in a in a public setting, not necessarily a private prayer language. Wouldn't it be easier just to say that? this didn't exist anymore? <laughs> Wouldn't it be easier to say, well, we all do it so we don't even have to explain it? It, it would be. In verse 10, he says, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, still another, the interpretation of tongues. You jump over to verse 30, he says, do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? This, uh, in Corinth, this, or this heavenly language, not a known language, but a, a heavenly language that was being used in worship, was apparently the primary thing he was talking about here. Now, again, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting, confusing thing. Corinth was a very metropolitan city. It was a port city, and it was a port city where the, the, uh, it, during the winter, it was dangerous to continue to try to go around the uh, the Cape there, and so many of the sailors would would stay in port there in Corinth. It was a major commercial routes intersected there in Corinth, so you had lots of people from all over the world there that spoke many different kinds of languages. It would be nice to say that this in Corinth was just... Uh, speaking in a foreign language and someone getting up and translating, but I don't think that's it because if it was speaking in a, a known foreign language, that they would not need an interpreter who is gifted by the Holy Spirit to translate that. Does that make sense? They would just need an, a translator. You following me? Big difference in getting an interpreter who, or translator who could be lost or who could be whatever versus getting someone who has the gift of interpretation from the Holy Spirit. Now apparently the sounds that were being made were similar to some of the ecstatic uh, worship that was done in in some of the pagan worship and temples around this area. So this made it doubly confusing the worship of the the god the false god Delphi. One of the things they did is people would get up and they would they would talk in ecstatic language. They thought they were drunk or they were crazy. And so when this began to happen in Corinth, it began to confuse people. And so When people get confused, they go all kinds of ways. It doesn't exist anymore, or we all have to do it, or we just try to ignore it. No, that's not what God says. God says that this is what was going on, and let's try to get our hands around what he was saying here. One, why would someone stand up tonight and speak in, a, in an ecstatic, unknown language. Why would that happen if it happened or not? Well, one, it would happen for a specific purpose. There would be a reason for it to happen. And, and the reason in Corinth was a lot of times it, to glorify the speaker. You can see how this would be a, a gift that would bring a lot of attention to the, uh, the gifted, correct? It, it would not be to bring uh, glory to the... the Speaker, but if someone had a special message from God, and a special message from God probably wasn't Jesus loves you because, you know, that's pretty prevalent throughout written Scripture. Uh, Even then, they knew that, okay? A special message from God. Here's the second thing. It needed an interpreter. It needed an interpreter. I won't read verse 10 again, but in verse 10 it says, some have the gift of tongues, some have the gift of interpretation. And you you go over throughout the, the chapter The end of this chapter, and in chapter 14, it talks about tongues being interpreted. Now, interpreting is not this. It would not be someone getting up and speaking in an ecstatic language and then Penny Humphrey standing up behind them and going, I'm interpreting this. They spoke in tongues. I don't think so. You know, that, that would, you follow me here? And here's a real dangerous thing, a real, real dangerous thing. Do not ever, ever, ever stand with authority and saying, God is telling me this. This is a message from God. I hear way too much of that foolishness today. You know, people want to get their way. They want to bully you. They want to use a spiritual club. Oh, they say, God told me. God told me. God told me. You know, in the Old Testament, the punishment for that, if it didn't come true, what you say God told you, you died. So I'm not worried about it happening here. I'm really not. I want more spirit here. uh, But... I'm not worried about it happening here, but it'd be a dangerous thing to play a game with this. You follow me? If tongues is used properly, it it would be someone speaking a special message from God, and there would be someone who would interpret it. It would obviously never go against Scripture, but there would be an interpretation. And he tells us this, that, that it would be done in an orderly fashion. All gifts need to be exercised in an orderly way. Going over to chapter 14, where we'll be in a few weeks, verse 8, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get you ready for battle? How will you get ready for battle? In verse verse 28, if I can find it, if there is no interpreter, the speaker should be quiet. And speak to himself and to God, not speak to the church. And in verse thirty-three, for for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. What was happening in Corinth was that that people were getting up and they were speaking in ecstatic languages. Maybe it was from God. Who knows? Maybe sometimes it wasn't. It was drawing a lot of attention to the to the speaker. Sometimes there wasn't anybody interpret it, and so you can see what was it was creating chaos, wasn't it? It was creating chaos. God said, no, God is a God of order. Now, I have a friend in Texas, a guy named Brian Callerman, Cindy Knows. He he was our worship leader one time at one of my churches. Brian came from, he had a, a very diverse religious background. He had, he had been a Methodist. He had been a charismatic uh, in charismatic churches, and now he was in a Baptist church. So he was confused, wasn't he? And But Brian had a pretty good grasp on it. And Brian said, orderly doesn't mean the same thing in the same place. What's orderly in an Assembly of God church probably is not orderly in a Catholic church, correct? Okay, and that doesn't mean either one of them is wrong. It just means that there's different flavors. So, in other words, don't don't put our cookie cutter on what orderly has to be. Some people would come to our church and think we were crazy. Some people would come and think we were dead, (laughs) right? So, so be careful on, on what the orderly is. Now, I want to tell you a story that I think brings this together on how that this can be valid. It's been misused so many times that we're skeptical of it but 1983 my youngest sister who's actually three years older than me was working on her master's degree at Regents University in Virginia Beach, Virginia. That is uh, Pat Robinson's university. Now my sister uh, has been a strong Christian. She was probably saved at eight. Been a strong Christian uh, her whole life. She's never spoken in tongues. Uh, her roommates, you know, most people at the university at that time were more charismatic, Assembly God-type uh, people. She said in a chapel in the spring of 1983, a person stood up at the end of the chapel and spoke in tongues. It, it was obviously, it was an unknown language, not a known language. And, and then when they sat down, a person in the other part of the room stood up and said, I'm, I, I feel I have the interpretation for what was said. And they said, what the speaker just said was that God wants to do a great work in Virginia Beach. But there's some unknown sin that's got to be dealt with. There's going to have to be some major changes before God can do what he wants to do in Virginia Beach. My sister said over the next five months, the vice president of the university was found to be uh, skimming money off the... uh, out of the kitty, and he resigned in a scandal. Two of the pastors of the biggest churches in the community were involved in some sexual immorality. Both of them were discovered and found out and resigned. And she said within about eight months, revival had broken loose in that community. I don't know about you, that's hard to say that was not valid. In fact, I think it was very valid. So let's look at some closing principles on speaking in tongues. Number one, it, it is valid. It, it is valid if it's used properly. I think it's uh, it, it's nice, again, to have your cookie cutter, to have God and all your theology in a neat box and and say that this doesn't exist if I don't understand it or... Or, or whatever, but it's valid if it's used properly. Properly is a big word, though, isn't it? I mean, there's a, there's a wide understanding of that. Here's the second thing that's very important. Tongues are not a proof of salvation. About 11 or 12 years ago in Texas, one of my friends was the, an undertaker, and he told me after a service that a local pastor had... Uh, as he was doing the uh, the sermon for the the deceased, said, we know that this person was saved because they spoke in tongues. Have you ever heard that before? Have you have you ever heard that, that tongues is a sign of salvation? If you haven't, talk to enough religious people, and you, you will. Now, let me tell you why that is said. It's a misunderstanding of the book of Acts. If you're taking notes, you might write some of this down, and you can look it up later. We can talk about it later. In Acts, there's places where people were saved, and when they were saved, they spoke in tongues, okay? Acts chapter 10, Peter uh, leads Cornelius to the Lord, and Cornelius is saved, and he speaks in tongues. Peter says, ah, we know that he has received the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, Paul's in Ephesus. People are saved, and they speak in tongues. So you can pull those out, and you can say, I can tell whether Jeremy McGee is saved or not, whether he has spoken in tongues. And I'd bet that would mean he's lost tonight. Just my guess. Here's the problem. Let's walk through some other parts of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the day of Pentecost, after they spoke in tongues, Peter preaches and 3,000 are saved. It does not tell us any of them spoke in tongues. Isn't that unusual? It doesn't tell us any of them. Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch is saved. He's baptized. It does not say he spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 9, Paul, who says he spoke in tongues. In in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul saved. It does not say he spoke in tongues after he was saved. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas lead the, the jailer, Philippian jailer, to the Lord, and they're saved. You know what? It does not say they spoke in tongues. Acts 18, there's a big conversion, and it does not say... That they spoke in tongues. So what does the book of Acts tell you? It doesn't give you a clear-cut answer, does it? I think what it says, if you look at it in Acts chapter 10 with Peter and Cornelius, and then in Acts chapter 9 in Ephesus, tongues gave the Jewish people a clear-cut, immediate way to see that the Holy Spirit, God, had accepted these people, okay? He'd accepted these non-Jewish people, which was a big deal at this time. Folks, the, the, you can't take the book of Acts and say you've got to speak in tongues to be saved. And so the bottom line is you do not have to speak in tongues to be saved. You go home and read 1 John, chapter 1 through 5. 1 John is the primary textbook on how to know if you're saved. And you know what it says about speaking in tongues? Zero, not a nine. It says, love other people. You obey God. You love the things of God. All those hard things. Tongues is valid. It's not proof of salvation. Here's the third thing. It's not proof that you're right with God. It's not proof you're more right with God. Now, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but some of my dear friends would tell you that you need the gift. (laughs) You need, to, you need to speak in tongues to, to show that you're really walking with God. Uh, some friends of ours in Texas, when one of their uh, brothers was uh, ordained to a deacon in a, uh, a more charismatic type church, one of the qualifications for a deacon was that they speak in tongues. I'm afraid if that was one of the qualifications here, deacons meeting would be Clayton and I. And maybe one or two others. I don't know. But not many. Folks, speaking in tongues is a gift. You don't have all the gifts, do you? Won't go back and look at it, but in 12, 29, and 30, it says, Do all all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Do all administrate? Do all teach or all prophets? The answer is no. Not everyone has the gifts. Uh, All the gifts. You, You know how to know if you're walking with Christ. It's not whether you can quote the whole Bible or you speak in tongues. It's what kind of person you are. Galatians five twenty two and 23 are called the fruit of the Spirit. Nine qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, tongues isn't mentioned in that, is it? It's the internal things that come out and make you a beautiful person that are proof that you're safe. In fact, I want to tell you, one of the meanest and vilest people, not in Ruston, not in a long way from Ruston, but one of the meanest, vilest religious persons I've dealt with, when I say vile, I mean vile, was a tongue speaker. I mean, they would, they would be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues, and then they would cuss people, and they would cheat people and steal from people. That is not adding up correct. The fruit of the Spirit are evidence that you're saved and you're right with God, okay? Very, very, very important to get a hold to that. Here's the last thing. No gift should cause disunity. You see, in, in Corinth, the use of tongues was dividing the people, dividing the people. If you're using your gift and it's causing problems in your church, you are off kilter. That gift was not given for you and for us to move out of the way so you can use it. You following me? God didn't give me a gift of preaching and teaching, so you better sit there and do what I tell you to do. He, that's not the way it works. Wayne decides he wants to sing for four hours because he has the gift. Well, he has the gift and he can sing for four hours, but it's probably going to be—I'm betting—not even to Stacy. It's going to be outside and children. himself and the dog may even leave after three and a half hours you see if you have the gift of preaching or teaching or serving or leading or administrating you're leading a bible study you're feeding the poor you're a preacher and the use of your gift is causing disruption in the church you need to be kicked in the backside. you're off base no gift should cause disunity in the body of Christ the gifts are to bless the body And to lift up Jesus Christ and to make us better. And in Corinth, what was causing problems with the tongues was that it was disrupting the body of Christ. Gifts always ought to glorify God and make the body better. Tough subject. I have no idea if I got through to any of you tonight. I'll quiz Cindy on the way home. But I think we've got to talk about it. I don't know if you remember this, Cindy, but uh, we interviewed with a church in Houston two weeks ago. No, I'm teasing. It was, t- it was about 12 years ago. And I remember the, the chairman of the committee, a very nice person, somehow the, the subject of tongues came up. And here's what she said. Oh, we're not going there. Too, it too, too, uh, causes too much strife, too much problem. We're not even going to talk about it. not even going to go there. You've got to go there sometimes, guys. And and if you deal with real-world Christianity, this is is something you've got to deal with. And always remember, if if it's done right, we don't have to agree on everything perfectly. We just need to make sure we're in line with Jesus Christ. I want to ask you tonight, are you in line with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? If you do, how is your relationship with him this evening? Maybe you need to come and give your life to Christ, or you need to come and renew your relationship with him. Maybe it's to join the church, or you just want to come and pray at the altar for yourself or with a minister. Let's stand. And as God leads you, you respond to him tonight. Mm